0: Welcome to Giving with Impact, an original podcast series from Stanford Social Innovation Review, developed with the support of Schwab Charitable. I'm your host, Michael Gordon-Voss, publisher of SSIR. In this series, we hope to create a collaborative space for leading voices from across the philanthropic ecosystem to engage in both aspirational and practical conversations around relevant topics at the heart of achieving more effective philanthropy. Over the past decade or so, we've seen significant shifts in philanthropy's approach to addressing some of society's biggest problems, and the growing popularity of market-based or market-inspired solutions to these challenges. At the same time, ideas like shared value, the notion of businesses favoring social good over pure economic gain, or impact investing, have become more common, due in part to declining funding from traditional sources, including federal funding, and donors' growing demand for more impact from their charitable dollars. Philanthropy and private equity used to be very distant worlds. Today, the idea of venture philanthropy has become more widespread. But how does venture philanthropy work? And how does it relate to traditional forms of grant making? And, short of starting their own foundation, how can donors take a venture philanthropy approach? To begin to explore this subject, we're joined today by two speakers who possess a wealth of experience in the fields of philanthropy and investing. Jim Bildner is CEO of Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation. A global venture philanthropy firm supporting early stage, high impact social enterprises. Jim is a nationally recognized lecturer, panelist, and speaker on subjects of nonprofit organizations, social enterprise, capitalization, and the institutional role of philanthropy in solving complex societal issues. Jim is an adjunct lecturer in public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School and a senior research fellow at the Hauser Institute for Civil Society at the Center for Public Leadership at Harvard University. Julia Reed is Managing Director, Relationship Management, with Schwab Charitable. Julia serves the registered independent advisor and family office community on the West Coast and has provided charitable planning consultation and resources to wealth management professionals and their clients for more than a decade. Julia has extensive subject matter knowledge on all aspects of effective philanthropy, including complex assets, legacy planning, and social impact strategy. Julia has spent more than 20 years in the financial services industry, working on two security exchanges, and in private wealth management. Jim, Julia, thank you both for joining me today as we explore the world of venture philanthropy. Let's get started. Julia, to kick us off, can you share with our listeners a simple definition of what's meant by venture philanthropy and your sense of how venture philanthropy fits in the broader philanthropic ecosystem?
1: Thank you for having me today. Um, venture philanthropy is the practice of defining your Philanthropic asset that is what you give to charity as an investment as an investor You may seek out securities or companies that you deem good opportunities based on their performance their social Responsibility approach or your own values and risk appetite as a venture philanthropist you are selecting not-for-profit organizations with similar rigor. The impact or potential impact that an organization has is a metric of its performance. So, the term venture in this context really refers to charitable giving as an investment, where the primary performance metric is the impact of the beneficiaries you're giving will have. In terms of where venture philanthropy fits in the landscape, I think it takes a, a different piece of that pie for for each of us, just like a balanced investment portfolio. Uh, The biggest risk with the gift to charity, though, is uh, you make a gift to a social entrepreneur or not-for-profit that doesn't have the impact that you expected. Um, A social venture fund can diversify your philanthropic investment amongst many expertly vetted not-for-profits. And you can be a part of a fund's impact with the tax-deductible grant made payable to the fund, for example.
0: So, Jim, Julia's comment then brings us to the work of DRK. Um, Can you tell us how the foundation got started and if there are specific areas on which you focus?
2: Sure. Um, So uh, apropos to Julia's comment, we were started in 2002 by Bill Draper, uh, clearly a legend in venture capital, and Robin Richards, now Robin richards Donahoe. They had just exited one of their most successful funds, and realized that there was a real opportunity to apply the discipline that they learned through venture capital to the social sector. That kind of discipline, this rigorous due diligence about what you're going to invest in, and then this idea of taking on a board seat, much like a venture capitalist would do on a for-profit entity, formed the basis for DRK's model, which continues today, now nearly 17 years later, And the focus of the foundation today is on really six things. One, uh, given the amount of capital available to us, we really are trying to push the ball on complex societal issues. So access to food and water, homelessness, access to education, health care, the critical issues that face society. And by that, I mean globally. 50% of our portfolio today is domestic. 50% is global and so we're looking for solutions to very complicated societal issues. And typically today we're finding those in early stage entrepreneurs, mostly teams. And as we vet them, we're vetting both the problem set. Do they really understand the ecosystem that surrounds the problem they're trying to solve? And then what's their solution? And then, of course, you've got all the, the management issues and the skill set of these leaders. And today we invest mostly in teams of two as opposed to a single person, because the odds that you can find in one person, uh, deep domain knowledge, and somebody with operating skills is really hard to find. Then we're looking for replication, which is at the core of venture philanthropy. It's this belief that solutions to have real impact have to be able to be scaled. And so we're looking even in the beginning of the potential of these organizations. Remember, we're early-stage investors, so typically less than four years old, typically less than a million dollars in resources. And yet, at the time of our investment, we need to have a pretty clear sense in our, in our mind that once we make this investment, there's the potential that nearly 80% of everything we invest in will have, at some point, uh, direct impact on 10,000 lives or more. And I'm happy to say, having done this now for 17 years, We've just made our 168th investment, about 105 of which have been in the last four and a half years. And every year, we measure the performance of our portfolio organizations, every single one we've invested in. And as of a month ago, roughly half of the entire portfolio is directly impacting 10,000 lives or more. Roughly a third of the portfolio is directly impacting 50,000 lives or more. Roughly a quarter of the portfolio is impacting 500,000 lives or more, and 18 of our organizations are impacting millions of lives. And as folks who get our annual report will see, the header for this year's annual report is 150 million lives, which is the aggregated impact of all our portfolio organizations over this period of time. And the idea that we can apply early-stage capital and board service with exceptional leaders who can produce that kind of impact in the world is just a privilege for us. And that is inherently the definition of, quote, impact investing in venture philanthropy. Because for us, it's 100% about social impact. And I'm proud to say that the portfolio and it's our organizations that are delivering this have really risen to, to the challenge of our time.
0: So let's talk about those organizations for a second, there, Jim. Um, you know, you've talked about the growth and impact of the portfolio, and certainly 150 million lives is a lot of impact. Um, but when you're looking for these uh, or these social enterprises and the the leaders that they have there, these social entrepreneurs, um, how do you find them? And then how does DRK support them in these early stages?
2: Right. So our pipeline. So the the total pool of the organizations that we're looking at. Uh, has never been greater. This year we'll set a record of 1100 applications for which we'll only fund uh, 22. The good news in the face of the challenges the globe faces is that there also is, you know, an unbelievable force against those challenges in pipeline opportunity. And in terms of the organizations we've supported, you know, just here in the Bay Area, we have Education Superhighway that's connected nearly 49 million students to broadband and done that in the space of nine years, aggregating $60 of raised capital, but also leveraging nearly $3 billion of federal capital. We have Crisis Text Line that has processed more than 130 million text messages from teens in crisis and is on a plan ultimately to cover over 35% of the globe with that kind of capacity. And then we were the early stage funders for Kiva, Room to Read, One Acre Fund, and the list goes on and on and on. And the other thing that's so important in our strategy is that we see this entrepreneurial behavior and this early stage investment as the profound building blocks of long-lasting change.
0: So, Julia, I would think that a lot of Schwab Charitable's donors um, are are concerned about Making an impact on the issues that matter to them. So, can you talk a little bit about the relationship between a donor advised fund and foundations like DRK?
1: Sure. Well, donor advised funds are the fastest growing vehicle in the United States. But um, I think not just uh, donor advised funds, private foundations, any plan giving vehicles, really great for unlocking potential in Um, a complex gift of stock or real estate, private equity, um, you can contribute it, and then it unlocks sort of this cash gift that you can give to charities over time. So getting back to donor advice funds, specifically the vehicle, it really simplifies the process of taking proceeds from a non-cash gift and making them more accessible to the 501c3s that our donors care about. Um, And putting them towards a charitable purpose or uh, social cause. We see our donors now beginning to make more and more impact investments with the charitable assets in their donor advised funds prior to gifting and then carrying that cause or causes through to their grant making. Um, And what uh, DRK Foundation or Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation allows them to do um, is make an impact investment with granting dollars and exposes them to these great new organizations and entrepreneurs that they may not have otherwise been exposed to.
2: And there's a real opportunity here. So we have nearly 70 donor partners, um, some family foundations, individuals, some large institutions as well. And the commonality that they have, whether it's the CEO of some of the largest foundations in the world, or an individual who has committed a DAF and is trying to understand the tradecraft, like how do you have impact, is that by coming together as part of a community, they have the benefit of learning from each other. So they have the ability to meet with our entrepreneurs, hear from our entrepreneurs, learn the lessons our entrepreneurs have learned, And for themselves and their children and anybody else in their family who wants exposure, it's a perfect median. And I think, you know, uh, we're so delighted with Schwab's commitment to us. And it answers, you know, probably the most important thing to us, which is how can we get greater engagement into this work, not for the benefit of DRK, but for the benefit of all these portfolio organizations who repeatedly say – as they did last week that the hardest capital to come by and these are organizations that have subsequently raised 50 60 million dollars is the first million dollars is the second million dollars and also the board service uh, you, you know um our managing director team includes former u.s attorneys global health experts national health experts education experts the former deputy publisher of the LA Times and the head of the Shorenstein Center at Harvard, who's a digital expert. And those folks are the folks that are serving on these early stage boards. And you can imagine how much capacity that builds for those organizations. And so for the DAF holder to be able to participate with us means that they're basically getting a team of 35 who are working on their behalf to further their philanthropic capital We have a number of second and third generations who are participating with us because this new generation of philanthropists is also trying to understand impact investing. So it's a catalytic accelerator, and that's really the beauty.
1: And there's not just demand from the entrepreneurs, um, there's demand from our donors. I mean, they're overwhelmed by the number of not-for-profit organizations that are out there to fund. And so they may have Causes that they give to on a regular basis from their donor advised funds or elsewhere, Um, but they have capacity to learn about other organizations and causes and they may have family members that they're wanting to engage in their philanthropy um, and they don't really know where to begin.
0: And I think what both of you have said really plays well with some data that we've seen that shows more and more that donors want to feel like um, they're providing meaningful support, not just money when they invest. And um, so thank you both for answering what probably would have been my next question to you. So let me change tracks a little bit. Jim, You know, before you talked about lessons to be learned, and you shared some great examples uh, of organizations that have been Huge successes from DRK. Uh, Any uh, lessons, any other lessons, perhaps some things that didn't quite go as planned or didn't turn out the way that uh, the organization had hoped?
2: The biggest takeaway which we learn every day is just how hard the work is. Um, Again, think about what these folks are doing. So they're tackling a, a complicated problem that has tons of codependencies that create the causation that impacts and constrains vulnerable populations. So that's the problem set. And they're a small organization, early stage, with limited resources, trying to prove we are post-pilot, pre-scale, trying to prove that the solution they've come up with is capable of scaling. And just because they're pursuing a social cause doesn't immunize them against the management tasks of scaling an organization so for profit or not for profit they still need to hire incredible talent they still need to retain incredible talent they still need to execute they still need to make payroll and they still need to have a budget and a strategy and be able to read financial statements and again do this in some of the toughest places on the globe that is the biggest lesson and so um you know our Secunding of our managing directors to these early stage organizations inherently provides every one of our entrepreneurial leaders with somebody who they know uh, they can call day and night. And one of the parts of our model that's probably not as obvious to folks is we have two other sort of bookends. Number one, uh, we never reinvest. So we make a single uh, investment of 300,000. If it's a nonprofit, it's a hundred thousand a year for three years. If it's a for-profit, it's usually in two tranches of 150,000 on the same terms as uh, all of the other angel investors. So converts or save stocks. Um, but the fact that we never reinvest means that the incentive system for our entrepreneurs from the beginning is to come to us first. And whatever the bad news is, we hear it first because they're not auditioning. They're not worried about getting funded by us. And the other element is we serve on these boards for a three-year period of time. So we're not kidding around. You know, we do a ton of due diligence to to understand what do we have to accomplish in that three-year period. And for sure, one part of our due diligence is to make sure that we're going to the other board members in these organizations that we're about to join and make sure that they're on side with that. That they understand that they're not just getting a board member, they're getting an operating partner. And that synergy and alignment of interest is part of the secret sauce that's allowed us to have impact, and without it, um, it's very hard to achieve this. In September of every year, we bring together board chairs of our organizations and their leaders. Uh, This year, we had roughly 40 of them together. And for many of these board chairs, it was the first time They had met other board chairs. And so regardless of what else transpired, there were 20 board chairs of early stage organizations who were able to have a peer group together to share experiences. And it was also a great opportunity for us to let them know how important they are to our work. And this leverage of community, whether it's our donor partners, it's our board chairs, if you think about that 168... Uh, portfolio organization number, and then you multiply it times the number of board members that are, that are on that and have been on it and that new board members, you start to get into the thousands of numbers of highly motivated, committed folks. And that's a powerful lesson for us that even though there are not a lot of uh, organizations like us, we're not alone. There, are, there is this base of both donors and doers who have come together in this platform.
0: Well, And, Jim, I just want to echo that, you know, when you were talking earlier about the importance of management responsibility and or management responsibility being just as important for a social enterprise or a nonprofit as it is in the for-profit sector, that was part of the reason why SSIR was created in the first place, too. So, so obviously, we applaud you for that um, organizing partner approach that you guys take. Let me change tracks for a second. Um, Part of the series discusses the future of philanthropic giving. Um, so with that in mind, what trends do you see in the way donors are engaging with their own philanthropy now? And what do you see is happening in the near future?
1: Well, I think some things are already happening. Um, and I can speak from my experience in the donor advised fund space um, that high net worth philanthropy, plan giving, strategic philanthropy in general has really gone from more of a transactional Um, relationship with a charity for the donor and more toward an interaction that takes place and it has more emotional drive um, than i remember seeing 10 to 15 years ago Um, so some examples would be um, particularly with the next generation we see families um, donors wanting to spend time um, with uh, a nonprofit prior to parting with any sort of financial commitment. Um, when they do decide to engage um, with a grant, there's typically some requirements that will come across, even if it's a basic reporting back in the form of an annual report or a multi-year grant agreement um, with some very specific reporting requirements from the nonprofit. Um, so I think it's raised the bar. Um, for us as a charity um, for um, our recipient charities and the operating charities that our donors give to but also for other donors Um, they're holding their counterparts accountable to also require um, documented impact um, from the charities that they support and I think that's going to continue to drive strategic philanthropy um, and impact investing um, where people are wanting to align their values and see results um, that can be well-documented over time.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that accountability is something that we see is even more critical today. Um, and Jim, similar question to you. Any thoughts about the future of philanthropy that you'd like to share?
2: I think it's uh, no surprise. It's a function of uh, the times we're living in, and it um, seems like every generation sees itself as, as unique. But clearly, the nature of the problems that we face, whether it's climate change, which is seemingly intractable or you know, inequity, systemic poverty, everything seems to be accelerating in its impact. And by that, I mean a negative impact. And so I see an impatience among donors um, and an, and it's a really positive impatience. And, you know, again, kudos to Schwab for really seeing this opportunity and making it available to their clients. Uh, the donor partners, that we have and the ones that are out there that we're talking to all the time, you know, mirror the sense of urgency that we don't have endless amounts of time to solve this. And there's a real affiliation with the work and not just for, you know, some kind of um, self-satisfaction. The ethos of our partners and our work and our donor partners is around others. It's this idea that commitment to helping others is in and of itself worth doing. And that, I think, is driving uh, a new spirit of intentionality. It's not impact for impact's sake. I think, you know, philanthropy has gone through that routine. Now it's it's really applied impact. It's understanding, okay, what are you trying to do? And what are the measurements that you think are going to be useful so that I can understand how I can
0: help you? It's a really
2: different paradigm uh, than we've seen in the past.
0: Well, that that sense of applied impact, that sense of urgency, I love the phrase used, positive impatience um, among donors really ties back into something that um, Jeff Rakes, who I know you know, said in another one of our podcasts uh, that he kind of summarized as as give smart, give now. We could certainly keep exploring this topic for hours, but... (laughs) As much as I'd like to keep going, unfortunately, we're out of time. So, uh, Jim, Julia, thank you both for your time today. Um, I hope our discussion has encouraged more donors to explore different solutions for their giving uh, and be even more rigorous in their approaches to philanthropy. Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcast or your favorite listening app as it helps others discover the show. We encourage you to listen to other episodes in this series, as well as other podcasts from SSIR, Schwab Charitable, and Charles Schwab. This podcast series is made possible with the support of Schwab Charitable, who played an important role in the selection of topics and speakers. For important disclosures and a transcript of this episode, visit schwabcharitable.org impactpodcast.